Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> you got your earbuds? Yeah, I got them in, so should be good to go. So I got to ask you, because the podcast is called Behind the Wheel, are you always behind the wheel? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So living in Baltimore, in the inner city, I was present when the Freddie Gray riots occurred. Baltimore was actually the first city in America to come up with a essentially legal way to ban African-Americans' property ownership within white residential areas. Transformation is a two-sided marketplace where we introduce artisanal and emerging uh, brands, mainly snack brands, to consumers at key moments where they're most engaged. Hi, I'm Derek, and this is Behind the Wheel, a show dedicated to highlighting the accomplishments of ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things within the community. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your podcast. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. We have a special show lined up for you today. Back in January of 2019, I received a Happy New Year text and a lead on a great story for 2019 and 2020. You know, I'm always in the market for a good story. The text came from Heather King. She said, I just put together a group called the Black Ice Project. We're 40 black folks headed to Antarctica to run a marathon in January of 2020. January the 11th is the kickoff, and the first fundraiser is in ATL on January the 12th. Do you know the average annual temperature in Antarctica ranges from about minus 10 degrees Celsius on the Antarctic coast to minus 60 degrees Celsius at the highest parts of the interior? Near the coast, the temperature can exceed 10 degrees Celsius at times in the summer and fall below 40 degrees Celsius in the winter. Heather and her group of adventurers chose Steve Hibbs of Marathon Adventures to help them turn their dream of running a marathon in every continent into a reality. The Black Ice Project brought 27 African-American runners to Antarctica to run a marathon, and they all finished their races, making the group the largest group of African-Americans to complete marathons and half marathons in Antarctica history. On today's episode, we go behind the scenes with T. Culpepper Glaze, our correspondent who was on the scene in Antarctica. T. interviewed several members of the Black Ice Project for this episode. See, we were curious to know what would compel an individual to run a marathon under those conditions, how they prepared for the event, and what lessons they learned along the way. Then we follow up with our interview with Heather King, once she thought out from the trip. So without any further ado, we bring to you the Black Ice Project. Enjoy. Okay, more than two dozen runners made history, Kelly, in a very unlikely place. A black fraternity braved the frozen tundra of Antarctica to run a marathon. And it's not just that feat uh, that, is, that is worth noting. Uh, this was the largest group of African Americans ever to step foot on the continent. So the, there is zero visibility in Antarctica right now. And so they have canceled our flight today. So back to the hotel we go. You sad, boss? You sad about it? <laughs> we ain't really sad. We get to eat and we get another day to rest. And you always have to trust God and thank Him for the delays because we want to come back. Yes. Hi, my name is Sheila Lancaster and I'm originally from Columbus, Georgia, but currently living in Phoenix City, Alabama. The reason why I decided to embark on this venture was because I wanted to, to create a legacy for my family, my sons, and my grandkids. Um, I think that it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and by me doing this is also teaching my kids, my sons, and also my grandkids that they can conquer anything that they put their mind to 
as long as they have God in the plan. One of the special thoughts that I can provide on planning for the experience is definitely get your mental game ready. Also, stay connected to positive people. Shut down any type of negative thoughts, any type of negative energy that you might be receiving from other people that always want to plant that seed in your head that you can't do it. Um, one of the lessons that I have learned while doing um, Antarctica is just enjoy the journey. Hello, my name is April Moore and I am from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I decided to embark on this adventure to Antarctica and South America to run two marathons because, number one, I saw a large group of people being gathered to participate in this experience. And um, I thought, for me, because I've never traveled internationally, this would be a great first-time international travel experience. Um, and to do it with other um, runners um, doing something that I love. So that's why I decided to come out um, to do this. And to prepare for this experience, I don't even I don't even know the words to formulate that someone could prepare for this experience. I, I guess all I could say is expect the unexpected. Um, and if you expect the unexpected, then everything will be all right. So Derek Oxley asked me to capture my feelings about which has happened with the Black Axe Project in which 27 African-Americans ran marathons and half marathons on the continent um, of Antarctica. Um, I, I guess my shirt that I have on clearly sums it up. Grateful. I'm grateful for the experience. Um, my expectations in this was to complete my seven continents, but it's about fulfilling a dream, um, being in control of your destiny, being the woman, the person you want to be, in spite of the hand you were dealt in life, um, but I'm not the person who's supposed to be here, supposed to be able to do these things, and through hard work, determination, and building a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I am where I am today and I am extremely grateful. I am even more grateful that Heather King put this team together. The minute Heather mentioned that she was putting this together, I was on board day one. There was no convincing me, no sitting on the fence. I jumped right in since it was a goal of mine. Hello, my name is McKinley Mason. Better known as this Deacon Run for obvious reasons. Um, I'm from the DMV area, but I live in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Somebody presented to me an idea about running Antarctica while I was standing in Jamaica in 90 degree weather. At the time, it sounded like a bad, bad idea, but me and four other people decided um, it was a good idea if we could get more people to try it because me personally, I like adventure and it sounded like an adventurous race. A lot of special thoughts came to mind while I was doing this race, um, thinking about um, what others could do following us, because as far as I was concerned, I was going into the unknown. Um, the race provider provided us some information, but uh, I really, really wanted to like talk to someone that had feet on the ground, a runner, Somebody look like me, somebody think like me, and somebody eat fried chicken like me. So could tell me what was the deal. 
And um, about three days before I left, I found a frat brother, Phi Beta Sigma. He had been here like two weeks before with some other group, but they came on a ship, so he had the easier route. Uh, he gave me some ups and downs of uh, what to prepare for. He had some great ideas. So when it comes to lessons learned, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, I would tell everyone, right, to go and do some heel training. Good morning. It is Taco Tuesday. And we are leaving for Antarctica. We are live. We are in the airport. Everybody is in good spirits. Some of us have ran marathons yesterday. We're about to run another marathon today. We are all walking, talking. Our mind done kind of checked out. But yes, we are live. T, Sandra, Miss Sheila, Lillian. Say hi to your cousins back home. <laughs> hi, my name is Felicia Mims, and I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the reason I decided to uh, embark on this venture is because I wanted to do uh, the seven continents. And this was a great opportunity for me to do some of the continents with uh, some of the people that I knew in the running community, in particular the African-American um, running community. So it's always good to have, you know, individuals uh, that you know that's uh, doing the same thing that you're doing. So this was a good opportunity uh, for me to, you know, just travel with uh, running cousins, running buddies, and just do this with with a, a group of people. Uh, some of the thoughts um, as far as planning for the... It's hard to really plan for the actual race in particular. Um, the race was very treacherous. <laughs> Uh, but if you're going to go through marathon adventures, I definitely advise, I would advise anyone to make sure that you read all of Steve's uh, information and really follow that. Um, you know, um, some of the things that he told us to purchase, the um, waterproof socks, those were excellent. Uh, those really kept my feet dry. Hey, I'm Trulisa King. I'm originally from Memphis, but I've been in Atlanta, Georgia for about 15 years. I decided to embark on this adventure because I like a challenge. And I'm also chasing seven continents. And I said, why not do the hardest one with a group of friends? You know, if I had any special thoughts that I could provide on planning for the experience, I would just say, go and have a blast. I don't think there's anything I could have done physically or mentally to prepare for what I experienced in Antarctica. Um, best training plan would probably be to get all of the hills you can find in Atlanta, as well as Kentucky and Tennessee, put them together, grab a bag of rocks and some mud, spray them down, and run over them repeatedly in a t-shirt in 35 degree weather. Hey, we are live um, from Chile. The Black Ice Project. Everybody is here, and so we're going to share. Okay, y'all, we live. The Black Ice Project. As y'all can see, we have taken over the restaurant. We take down everything, and we have friends. Friends, raise your hands. Say hi. <laughs> we got some friends. Um, Hugh, can you stand up, sir? This is what 71 looks like. Can you give you a round of applause? So Hugh is our oldest male runner. Uh, Miss E, can you stand up, please? 
This is our oldest female at a young age of 67. So our youngest runner has left. Our youngest male, um, sir, could you please stand up? Our youngest male. <laughs> Yolanda Stevens is one of those runners. She joins from Orlando this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Hey, uh, tell us, uh, can you describe the idea, first and foremost, of going to Antarctica for, for an event like this? Yes. Well, uh, a number of runners in the run community have a goal of running seven continents. I'm doing a marathon on every continent, and you have to get through Antarctica. So a lot of the races you can do solo, you can go to Germany by yourself. But Antarctica is one of those places where you need to go with friends. So it was fun to go as a group. And you're in Orlando now where it's actually much warmer, right? <laughs> so describe the conditions in Antarctica. How did you feel there? It was extremely cold, and that's coming from a native Floridian. Um, the... Temperatures were in the low 30s. Wind chill was about 15 with sustained winds of between 20 um, to 25 miles an hour. Um, it was extremely cold, <laughs> especially being in a tent. Well, what exactly drives you? What is the inspiration, your inspiration behind being such an avid runner? Uh, it, it's health, health reasons. Um, I had gotten to a point through a dance injury where I had to have my ACL reconstructed. And through that journey, I put on a lot of weight. Um, I had gotten up to about 235 pounds, and I had a serious talk with my doctor one day where he told me things have to change, especially due to family history of heart disease and diabetes. Um, so I made the decision that day that I was not going to let that be my reality, that I wanted to be around to see my kids grow up and get married and graduate. Um, so I made the decision to start moving. You sure did. You made that change. You're looking awesome right now, I got to say. Hello? Hey. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you very well. All right. You got your earbuds? I do. Okay. How was um how was your uh your your, your skating? Skating was everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I have to almost pinch hold on, let me pinch myself. Make sure what? oh this is this is actually happening. You know what? Anyway. <laughs> this is actually happening. Oh, my God. I don't believe it. Your people finally called my people, and we making this happen. Thank you so very much, lady. Mm -mm. It's, been a, it's been busy. That's all I can say. It's been busy. It has. Um, yeah, it has definitely been, been busy. We have been... Well, let's just uh, let me let me do a, a brief introduction. Um, like I said, we're gonna um, I have like some clips from other stuff, so um, I'll just do this just for um, for you know for the episode. Okay. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host D Ivan Oxley, and I'm here today with a very special guest, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. She really needs no introduction. Um, some people know her as Sister Pastor, Mother First Lady, Missionary, Deaconess King. <laughs> I think when I was told, when I first joined the First Pentecostal Ap Apostolic Baptist Church of Team Takedown Publix, oh I would receive some free chicken and a peach cobbler. I'm still waiting for my peach cobbler. Give it up for 
Mrs. Heather King. Ooh, how are you doing, Heather? I am tired, but otherwise, I'm great. I'm great. You're tired? Have you defrosted yet? Yeah, I've defrosted, came home, gave myself two weeks of just chilling, and then, you know, I started working with a, a trainer. Shout out to Coach Mo. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out with her in early part of December, and so I wanted to, you know, find some balance in my life, and Cora was definitely on the negative side of life, and so I decided to jump start what I knew was going to be Mission Impossible when I got back, and so, but I, but I pushed through December, um, pushed through January, and so after we came back from Antarctica, I gave myself two weeks off and then went back to the gym. Mm-hmm. And I'm still there, dying a slow death. But, dying uh, a slow death. Oh my god! <laughs> but but I needed to find something else besides running, and I wanted to, you know, get my cholesterol down, lose a couple of pounds in the process, and just uh, kind of change up my workout a little bit. And so I'm I'm happy. I'm tired, but I'm happy. Okay. So we normally yeah. do a, a a routine before we get too far in depth. But I already know that, and everyone who knows you knows that you, you um, you know, we do the coffee routine and say, are you a five bucks lady or are you a D&D type of girl? And that, that, no, that. Team Starbucks all day. Yeah. So there was no really point of even asking that question. <laughs> and and just for the, just for the hell of it, I'm actually sitting out in front of Dunkin' Donuts and it's not part of a protest or anything. Nature called, and this is where I find myself. I started to drive to a um, a Starbucks to do it, uh, you know, in 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 the green space, you know, uh-huh. a lively uh-huh. a lively place. <laughs> I'm actually in the parking lot of the green green space. So, so while we and, and then neither one of those D and D or Five Bucks are, are not sponsors of this show, so I don't even know why we're talking uh-huh. about it. But I know I had my coffee this morning already, and it was actually ground. Uh, actually, it was actually beans that I had to. to I actually ground up some beans, stopped by my sister's uh-huh. house, and made some coffee. And then I had a cup before I left the house. And then, you know, that's, I'm on my second cup. My second cup was uh, both of them were Starbucks. Well, I'm on a. I haven't had coffee. Well, let me say this. I was seven days a week kind of girl, but after coming back from Antarctica, there was only one Starbucks, which was in the airport. And so I learned to drink espresso without suffering the migraines from the the lack of the caffeine in the coffee. Mm-hmm. And so once I got back, um, I haven't had it every day. I've only had it maybe mm, once this week. And then this morning I had a medicine ball because I'm trying not to get sick out in the streets and so I'm kind of switching it up a little bit but I realize I can survive without all the sugars in the Starbucks but it's truly being in the space that um, gets me more so than you know the serving of the coffees but I'm, I'm trying out some different things and it's working it's, it's, it's not an overnight process but mm-hmm. I didn't get here overnight so it's, I'm always a work in progress I think with anything that I do, it, it never happens overnight. It just manifests into something. And once I realize this is what I want to do, then that's how we move forward. So, yeah. So I've been, tr- we've been trying to, um, 
connect for some time. And that, I mean, this has got to be like, what, two, maybe three years. I mean, a lot has transpired, uh, a couple of losses in your, your, um, in your life. Um, so before we even get too far along, just tell people who may not know you who Heather King is and how she got started running and we'll get into, um, Ooh, I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about Antarctica. <laughs> um, who is Heather King? So Heather King is a mother of two adult daughters first, um, proud grandmother of a uh, soon-to-be six-year-old Miss Zoe Chanel. Zoe Chanel. And, and I've kind of put Zoe on my social media. She didn't ask to be there, but it's like people recognize Zoe and she has no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. But she calls, she calls them my running friend. And so Zoe has been uh, born into the culture of um, running. Uh, my daughter was in Atlanta, and she was she had like two weeks before she was due. And I decided upon myself that my Ragnar race in Chicago was what I needed to do and where I needed to be more so than waiting on my daughter to have this baby. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Miles change. I believe it was six. Um. And, and we were Wisconsin to Chicago, mm-hmm. or Madison to Chicago. And so she was born while I was on exchange number six. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and even though I felt horrible, but to me, running was that much more important. And plus, she came early. So who knew she was coming a week early? So after Ragnar flew home, was able to get them out the hospital and get them home. And so she has been born into this running game with her nana. Um, probably more than she wants to admit. Neither one of my kids run, um, but they did grow up roller skating. Mm-hmm. And so I ran while in high school, um, growing up in Miami, Florida. I ran cross country. Um, was only, well, one of two black girls at the high school. Mm-hmm. And at that time, running was just something to do, way of getting out the house, getting to stay after school, and just kind of have a normal childhood. And so other than that, Ran throughout high school, did a little bit in college, and then got married, had kids, life started. Um, my kids don't run, um, mm-hmm. but when the oldest one left to go off to Southern University in 2010, um, she she really didn't want me to be bothered with her when she went off to school, and that's when I started realizing, oh, they teach you how to raise them, but they don't teach you how to let them go. And so I didn't know how to react to her withdrawals of, you know, not wanting me to come visit, not really calling me on a daily basis. I was kind of a helicopter parent, I'll admit it. But Mm -hmm. as time went on, I learned to find something else for myself to do versus, you know, trying to be a part of her college life and continue nurturing her and having my hands on her. Mm -hmm. And so I started with Black Girls Run. Um, It just, it picked up quick. We were doing speed training, I believe, on a Wednesday then there was a, a Tuesday group run. I was trying to be a part of that. Then it was the Thursday group run. And before you know it, I was I was head, head first. <laughs> and it, it just became my life. And so once you start showing up, you start meeting different ladies. Everybody's got these amazing goals, what they want to do. And it just opened up a whole new world of opportunity. And so um, I had an awesome um, group leader and... She took some time off to go deal with some family issues, and I got thrown in as um, the group lead, mm-hmm. and I 
continue to um, lead that run to this day, and that's been about four or five years. Wow. Okay. And so um, our, our group runs have fallen off um, in the last few years here in Atlanta, but I think it just comes with other people have other things to do. People have different paces, and so they want to run with, you know, people that have the same pace as them. Whereas Black Girls Run, we are couch to 5K. We just want you to get out, get you a good 30 minutes in, whether you walk, run, shuffle, just, you know, get off the couch and come join us and, you know, try to improve your life. And so that's still the mission. And so I still do that. Um, last year I was doing Saturday long run trainings at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. And most of the time when I step up to do something, it, it literally is not to put myself out there, but it's more or less to have company. I don't never want to do a long run by myself. I don't want a marathon train by myself. I don't want to run a marathon by myself. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have gotten accustomed to having people around me, people that I can talk to, people I can cry with, people I can cuss with. Like that is what builds the camaraderie of of those that you share this passion for. And so that, to me, is what it's all about. So, you know, whatever you want to do, it's always at least one person that want to do it with you. Mm-hmm. And now, so... Hearing you mention that running saved your life. Running did save my life. Um, so people think that when you, you know, all these people now who are all these awesome runners, they just woke up one day and they just became this runner. Running is a foundation that people use to get through whatever it is they're going through. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care what it is you do. There's always a foundation that you build from that gets you to where you are. And so for me, it was a stress reliever. Um, I roller skate. I've always loved roller skating. I've been roller skating since I was seven. Mm -hmm. Um, But roller skating has always been something for me that I've always done. My mother was an alcoholic. And so the days that she wanted to drink and she didn't want to have to worry about who's going to babysit her kids, she used to drop us off at the skate rink. And so skating became a safe place for me growing up. And so being the only girls with our brothers, you know, safety back in the 70s, it, it wasn't what it is now, but there still was a safety factor. And so skating, I love skating more than I love life. And so it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, I will always lace up and get on my wheels. Mm-hmm. Running, not so much. Running, um, running kind of serves the same purpose, but running was the vehicle that I used to get me where I wanted to go as far as dreams and leaving a legacy and things like that. Running was just that vehicle to get me there. Um, if I'm sick, I'm going skating. If <laughs> I'm on my deathbed, I'm going skating. I have told my children when I die to take my ashes and sprinkle them outside the back of the skating ring on a Wednesday because that's the night that they got the best DJ. They think I'm playing when on I'm Wednesday. Like, the plan is for cremation. Mm-hmm. And all, all, all my friends know these are my wishes. So if my children tend not to follow my wishes, there's going to be an intervention. intervention. And so I'm going to get my wish at the end of the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> But no, um, I mean, it's, you know, everybody has something that they love in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are diehard runner people. I'm not a diehard runner like that. Like, I love running, but there's days where I just, you know, I'm not feeling it for whatever reason. And I think I just go through these motions 
And when you come off of a marathon training, you figure for 16 weeks you've given your life to this discipline. Mm-hmm. And then after that, if you don't have anything else lined up, you know, depression kicks in because everybody that you're surrounded by mm-hmm. is disciplined. Yeah. They're committed to something. And I remember after coming back from Australia in October, I told my therapist, I was like, I think I'm depressed. And she was like, well, why do you say that? And I said, because I didn't feel like getting up running on a Saturday morning. And she says, well, what else didn't you feel like doing? I said, that was it. And she was like, you're not depressed. You're just tired. (laughs) And I said, how tough. Postpartum run depression. (laughs) And she kept saying, well, depressed people don't go skating. Mm -hmm. Depressed people don't go to work. And she said, the fact that you did those two things, she said, you're just tired and it's okay. She was like, don't beat yourself up. She said, think about it. Everybody around you is disciplined. She said, you don't realize that you are surrounded by disciplined people. Mm -hmm. She said, y'all are the only people running at 5 a.m. She said, the regular people are looking at y'all run. Yeah, or sleeping. She said, those are disciplined. (laughs) Yeah, she said, those are disciplined people. She said, and everybody's not built like that. She said, so if you miss one run, that's fine. She's like, you're entitled. She said, eventually you'll get up and you'll do it because everybody around you will hold you accountable and you're going to show up because you're an accountable person as well and you're committed to whatever it is that you set your mind to do. And so after she laid that out, I began to look around me and it's like, dang, everybody is. You know, they're like, I don't have no slackers on my team. Like, everybody is out doing something. Even if it ain't running, they're doing something. And once you log in, you see it, then you start feeling like the lazy one because everybody's out getting mm-hmm. it. And you still sitting back looking at them. And so, you know, running, this running life has a way of getting you motivated, whether it's in you or not. So, that that whole fear of missing out is real. So, so you, you, at, at some so, point... What led you to start using running to build community and and, and sort of a family? Oh, child. Let's see. So I I will say this and and take it for what it's worth. Team Takedown was never something I sought out to do. Mm -hmm. Um, it It was looking around my running community in Atlanta and not liking what I saw, not liking all the discards. Everything was about this shirt. This person got on this shirt. This person got on this shirt. This person's in this clique. This person run with these people. And it, it, it was weird because at that particular time, I had ran public half marathon. I'd always done the half there. Mm-hmm. And so we had this tent space. And in this tent space, you had about five or six different groups in Atlanta. Five or six different groups, all next to each other, kind of made like a cul-de-sac. But the crazy part is nobody was inside of those individual tents because everybody was in the middle. The middle was neutral. Mm-hmm. And when you looked around, it was like, why can't you go over there with them? Oh, because you rock with these people, and these people don't rock with these people. And when you sat back and looked at that, it was just kind of like, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all run together? We all black, mm-hmm. we all run, we, we got we got a couple of things in common. Why can't we not all do this together? And it, it just became toxic, and it, it used to piss me mm-hmm. off, and I'm neutral because I can rock with anybody. Like, I don't care what shirt you got on, I'm rolling up in your, your stuff, what's up, give them some dap, and keep it moving. So I felt like, but everybody's not me. Mm-hmm. 
everybody can't be neutral and be cool with everybody. So when I realized that, I was like, all right, next year I need Georgia. I'm, I'm not chasing 50 states, but since I live here, I might as well get a state in. And so I know how hard the, the fool is. I knew how hard the half was. I vowed never to do the fool because ain't nobody that crazy. But, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Who want to do it with me? And literally right after the race ended, I said, we're going to take down Publix. And I put it out there on Facebook. And I think that night, by before midnight of that same day, I had like 50 people that was like, I'm down with you. Let's do mm-hmm. this. And then it really became like Club Nouveau. Mm. Hey, somebody told somebody, somebody told somebody else, and it just it spread it like wildflower. And and I think the great thing was because one, it's in Atlanta, we always turned up. But then two, we were African American runners. Mm-hmm. And people look at Atlanta as though we are the hub of the African-American-run community. Like, everybody want to be a part of Atlanta. And and there's lots of good reasons why. And so that's where it started at. And it just, it just took off. And then it grew. And so because I found that everybody didn't want to come together, you couldn't put this on that page, you couldn't put this on that page, but they're all running mm-hmm. pages. It was like, you know what, now's the time to create my own we ain't got no rules that team take down. You just, you know, just understand if you clap, they're going to clap back, <laughs> and we can agree to disagree. Yeah. But for the most part, it was bringing whoever together for one common purpose. You know, for me, team takedown was, it wasn't just about a race of us coming together. It was also to pay homage to those distant runners that have come before us, those distant runners that said that, you know, we only saw this many African-Americans mm-hmm. at this race back during this time. And it was like, wow, what would it look like if we could show them we're a younger generation of mm-hmm. runners uh, and what it would look like if we all came together because that was something that they had not seen before, even though there is there have been other race clubs that have put together races in certain cities. But what if you're not user-friendly for everybody to come and feel welcome? Everybody don't feel welcome in this run community. I can tell you that. I've experienced it, and I know other people that have. I wanted a place where we all felt welcome, where we gave love, where we showed Southern hospitality, and you actually felt good as a person and liked the way the people treated you. It didn't matter if you ran fast Mm -hmm. or slow, wasn't nobody throwing shade. It was one come all. And we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, that was that was and quite so, an, an experience. I mean, just seeing it all unfold and and, and the pictures and the, the day party and the white party and the it was uh yeah it, it was it was history in the making for me anyhow to to just see so many people who look like you because when I started running, you know, I would see one other person. And, you know, you give the head nod, I see you, see me, yep. see you here at this race. And it's not, and it's, it was, it's just, you know, we, I didn't run for sport growing up. It was, you know, it was punishment, suicides on, on, on the basketball court. It wasn't all to just, you know, it's just for fitness. It wasn't just, okay, let's right. just put on, let's just go for a run. That was not, that wasn't a thing. So to actually see so many people from around the country gathered in one place to run, it was... Yeah, it was, it was something to behold. 
But when you when you when you think about team takedown, I like to think that team takedown is a different generation of runners. Not to throw shade at the, the ones that came before us, but when you think about how times have changed with computer technology and so forth. There's a lot of people that don't adapt to change right away. There's some people that put some effort into getting and understanding it and, and, and become to use it, and then there's some that just yeah. the hell with it, you know. And so running to me is the same. You've got an older generation of runners where they do things this way, and they're all about speed and this and that. And then you have a younger generation that can still do the same thing, get the same results. Mm-hmm. They just do it differently. And so I think sometimes that's where you have the discord between the older generation of runners and the younger generation where, you know, we can turn up on a Friday and run on a Saturday and still get the same results and finish. Whereas we're not sitting in our hotel room watching the news with our feet up resting our bodies because we've learned that we can do things differently but still get the same results. None of us are getting paid for this. So my thought is if you're having fun with it, then that's all that matters. If you're training for Boston, then you might not want to hang with a certain group of people because they're going to party and run. And so everybody does what mm-hmm. speaks to them. But at no time should you belittle a person because they didn't do it the way that you did it. And I think a lot of times that becomes the issue in the running community. It has nothing to do with running. It's, it's all about how people perceive things and what they used to and them putting – what they think upon you and what you should be doing and not you, doing. You have, and so that's where yeah, I'm you, you have, a, I think you yeah. have a lot of, sort of like a lot of <laughs> run groups sort of, sort of emerge in different, yeah. different states, um, all around the country, all around the yep. world. In, in London, you, you have different people who everyone's personality, they kind of bring their own thing. And, and a lot of people that I've, that I've spoken to, it's like, well, I didn't set out to do this thing. It was just, this was a, this was something that I did as a result of, you know, I was trying to go through this patch and it was just me and my friends something and we else. got out and we were a creative bunch of people and we, we would run through the streets of London and run them crew was kind of emerged. And you have somebody down yep. in Manhattan and they, and their old yep. personality each yeah. group kind of emerged. You got people who just, I just want to run. And colorful runs and tie-dye yeah. and, and everything yeah. just kind of popped up. And then you have some people who say, well, is that is that just because you finish a marathon and, 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 you know, doesn't mean that you're a marathoner or whatever. And But everyone's thinking is, is a little different. Yeah. As long as you get the job done. There was once a, um, I don't know if you know yeah. Isaiah Douglas. He's ran Boston, I know, 16, 17 times. Isaiah told me one time, when it came time for team takedown, Isaiah was the one person that I drove four hours to go sit down and have lunch with him because he was somebody I respected. He was somebody that I wanted to personally be mm-hmm. in Atlanta to see all these people. And after sitting down, talking to him, telling him what I wanted, what I wanted to see, I just wanted him mm-hmm. to show up so that he could see it with his own eyes. And he was like, I'm coming, I'm training people for this race, and I'll be there. And there were just certain people that I sat down and had one-on-one conversations with who told me about their story and how they started. And even though we didn't come from the same era of running, we Mm -hmm. still shared the same passion. And what he always said to me was, block out the noise and do what you're capable of doing. But remember, we all start and finish at the same start and finish. 
And that's it. And I've always Mm-mm. carried that with me. And, and running a true individual journey is individual. Some people want to make it a group and all these other things. It's an individual journey because you don't know what people are going through, have gone through. You, you really don't, you don't know. And, and sometimes you'll never know because you'll never get to know that person. But you just have to always tell yourself, this is what you're doing for you. And so I always take that um, with me. During Team Takedown, my mother was going through mm-hmm. um, a last stage of chemo. And um, I had to go up to Indiana. And I sat there for about almost about two months. Hospice. Mm-hmm. With the chemo, and then the chemo stopped. And then it turned into hospice. And so my first race out of her passing was actually in Little Rock. And so I did that race. It don't make sense now why you do a marathon before another marathon. But I did that race Mm -hmm. to kind of see where I would be in public. Because the joke was, Uh you don't want to end up being the mean of somebody to put this race together and then you don't finish. And so, you know, I knew I would break down. I knew my heart was heavy. I knew all of that. And so I tested out Little Rock, which I had done before. I had done Little Rock one other time before um, I did that one. And I broke down on the course, and then it it was a hot mess. But then I turned around, and really, Team Takedown saved my life because at that point, I might have been at Mm -hmm. almost at, you know, your all point low because anybody that's ever lost a parent, like, you really can't tell nobody how to feel if if they ain't walked in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And so that run during Team Takedown was actually therapeutic. Because it gave me something to look forward to. It gave me something to get up every day and do because people were, you know, they were counting on you. So you couldn't sit and be depressed because you lost your parent. Like, Team Takedown really forced me every day to get up and get out there and get something because I had put this together. There was no time for mourning. And so Mm -hmm. all of that, I think, had its own purpose of how it transcended. And I think there's so many people that want this, and this is what it looks like. And so I'm grateful that we were able to give people flowers while they were living, you know, versus after the fact. I'm I'm grateful that other people thought that they too wanted to see this come alive. And then the crazy part was half of the people Mm -hmm. that showed up, they had never met anybody else. They had only ever met them on Facebook. And it was almost like a Facebook meeting. Yeah, it, 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 well, we called it a family reunion because we were family. You know, in this day and, and at this time in our life, the people that surround us, the friends, are people that we've chosen to become part of our family. Because unless you were a runner, you don't really understand it and you can't share mm-hmm. that joy. You can't share your downs or your ups because they don't get it. So... We, we have created a family-like atmosphere, and so that's what we called it. We had a, a house party, then we had a day party, then we had the race, and so it, it, it was epic. It was epic. You know, like I tell people, if you weren't there to see it with your own eyes, mm-hmm. it's hard to put into words what you was feeling. You know, it's, it was almost like an a unreal experience because it, it was overwhelming. <laughs> I, I, like, I didn't realize... Um, like I, I go back through the messages and, and you had lost your mom and then you lost your dad and 
and, and then went through um and gone through a divorce and like see that people don't see that stuff and they just kind of see you're running and that's it well and the thing about it is i mean mm -hmm. you you have to understand who i am i am a person that is always positive for the most part um i always take the high road because i always remember how people want to be treated and how i want to be treated and and sometimes you know with this whole social media you hear a whole bunch of noise but you're really not hearing anything because people just realize mm -hmm. that if you put that phone down then your life goes back to what it was. All of that stuff on that phone and the people on the phone, unless they in your immediate circle, they really don't matter. Mm -hmm. What they saying really don't matter. When you try to figure out, okay, how does this work? You know, life hits you. And I tell people all the time, you can come back from anything. You can come back from a cheating husband with a baby on the side. You can come back with doing hospice for your mom. You can mm -hmm. come back with losing your dad. You can come back yeah. from all this stuff. You can fall, but you just got to get back up. But every time that I've fallen, I've gotten up differently, and I get up stronger. And I used to, you know, try to figure out, like, why does God always give me the path less desirable? Why do I always have to take the path less chosen? And so you, you stop asking yourself why, and you just meet the challenge for, for mm -hmm. whatever it's worth. You know, doing Team Takedown, I was doing hospice. Team Takedown kept me alive. I had to come back home. I had a race and all of that to get prepared for. You got a husband over here that ain't mm -hmm. treating you right, and you know it's the end. It, you didn't wake up that day and all that fell in your lap. No, so, it led up to that. And you just had to choose you over everything else. But you can't continue to feed into the negative. You got to go where life is positive, and life with Team uh, Take Down that was more positive so you, than after, the rest of my life. And after so the race that's was over, what I chose to focus packing on. up, everyone's yeah. gone. The, the the page is still there. Then, then you just say, okay, let's uh, let's do something else. Yeah. So yeah. what what made you say let's do something else and just say okay, well. We did that. Do something else. What's okay, next? so that's that's it. You know, we'll just post memes and and um, call it a um, day. I think I think what happened was after Team Takedown, we realized, oh my God, like we are on to something. Just think if all of our races could, could be this lit. Just think if all of our races, you know, people came out and supported one another. And it was like, okay, what's everybody running next? So I think it was back in 2013, maybe, 13 or 14, mm -hmm. um, I was following the um, National Black Marathoners page. And I believe at that time Anthony Reed had posted he was going to be in Atlanta. If anybody wanted to come have lunch with him, this is where he would be in at this time. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I got to go to this. Like, I, I want to meet this guy. I've heard a lot of great things. I followed the page. I'm inspired. I'm a young runner. Like, I want to do all of this. Like, and when you're a young runner, you eat, sleep, and drink running. Like, you want to know everything. And so went to that lunch. I bought his book, went home and read it. And from that point on, I thought to myself, okay, you know, I'm not a regular girl. I don't just have regular dreams. And... I was 40 at the time, and so I thought this would be an awesome 50th birthday gift to myself. 
You know, I'm okay for partying, going on a cruise, taking a trip. But I thought, how mm-hmm. how awesome could it be if I could complete this goal by 50? Like, I would be a badass. And so at that time, I sat there and I mapped it out. I literally had a calendar and I just mapped out each race that I wanted to do. Mm where it was located, what year I would do it. Nobody in my family thought I was crazy because I'm always coming up with stuff. So they was like, okay, yeah, they was like, if that's what you want to do, that's what you should do. And so Mm -hmm. that's that's exactly what I did. So I did my first marathon was um, Marine Corps. And at that time, my husband was um, a Marine. And so I dedicated that one to him, my brother. And then I had a cousin that was um, a Marine. And so I wanted to pay homage to them. So that was my first. My second one was Europe, which was Paris Marathon. And my husband went with me, but that's when I realized it was a turning point for us because he didn't care about me running. He just didn't want to be taken along on the run journey. Mm-hmm. He was just like, I didn't come here to run no marathon. And it's like, but you ain't running. You you chilling while I'm running. And he was like, yeah, if I go on vacation, I want to be a vacation, not a vacation with a run. And so from that mm-hmm. point on, I had to get some friends because I knew going in, he didn't he didn't want that. And so it was fine. I kept it moving. And then the third one was Asia, went to Great Wall of China. And I reached out to some people just on Facebook and was like, we're doing this challenge for mm-hmm. Great Wall of China. You know, let's do this stair challenge. Who wants to run stairs with me? Because stairs were really hard. And so we put that out there. Next thing you know, that took off around the world. And everybody was sending me, you know, posts about how they ran these steps. Mm-hmm. But before we get to you um, with, the, with the seven continents, finishing that up, you also did the world majors, correct? Yeah, so I finished the world majors um, in London of 2018. So I did Boston in the worst year. Here we go, talking about the road, let's travel. Yeah, great weather then, uh, didn't y'all? <laughs> didn't y'all have great weather uh, for Boston? Yeah, that was some straight foolery, you know. But the crazy thing is, there was never a time that I ever thought, should I really do this? That I, There was no, only thing I kept thinking about was, these people done gave me their money, I done fundraised for this. I got to do this, because if not, they going to want their money back. And I ain't got no money to give them, so this do or die, baby. And so... Oh, my God. You know, so I am sitting there watching the video where you pull over at the side. I guess Nickus is, is, is the, the reporter on the ground. The rain is coming. Done. And you stop Done. <laughs> done. I was done, son. He was done. Barbara was like, Brendan was like, come Baby. on, let's go, let's go. We got Baby, <laughs> that thing drugged me. Could when y'all I help me the... help? No, you got to keep going. <laughs> I, had, I have never hit a wall in a marathon. Now, mind you, I had done the Little Rock Marathon that had similar weather a couple of years before that. It was the year of Epic. And, you know, that morning we woke up, it was a little drizzle, but the weather wasn't bad. Man, by mile 15, that thing had turned into a tsunami. We had rain, high winds. Um, we had we had some everything. The temperatures had dropped. Mm. And when I got to mile 22, they were um, 
telling people they couldn't go further. I just kept going on the sidewalk and kept on through. And I actually got to finish in time. There were two people after me that got to finish in time, but after that they had cut the race. But that was the first race I ran with, with those temperatures. And I just felt like, well, if I can do this, well, anybody else can too. Mm -hmm. And so that Boston, man, look, I kept, that was another time I asked God, like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, why every time I set out to do something, you have to give me the worst of the worst of the worst. Now, is he and answering you when you, um, when you... He is not, he is not... <laughs> Please hold. You've reached heaven. If you'd like yeah. to leave a message, please do but so. But you know, only huh? only thing that I, I, I come to think about when, when, when things like that hit, it is just like it's one more way to try to break you down. And depending on how you get back up, it ain't working because it doesn't matter what obstacle you throw at me, I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. Like, I might fall for a minute. I'll, I never give up. And, and I think that's the lesson that I always try to tell people, you can come back from anything. It doesn't matter what it is, but long as you get up, you just can't quit. And so I've never quit in anything. Never quit. I might have, you know, taken a knee here and there, but for the most part, you know, but when you think about failing as an adult, it's, it's not often you think about what you failed at because as an adult, how often do we fail at anything? And run is no different. You know, and so when you fail, you're supposed to learn something. It's supposed to definitely teach you something. Mm -hmm. And so you, you take what you can get from it and then you apply it to whatever you got lined up next and you just keep it moving. Yeah, I think we some people might. There's this, I think, misconception that, you know, every everything is is rosy and peachy and cream. Um, oh, no. But you, you, no. you, you're going to fall down. You're going to fail. And yeah. Everyone is going to encounter it. Everyone yeah. is going to encounter it. Yeah. And so at some point you say, I'm going to do blackish. I want to go to Berlin. <laughs> Let me tell you, Berlin Marathon. So my daddy was a street person. Wait a second, Heather. Wait a second. You mean street person, Heather? You just, just my daddy was a oh my daddy was a real OG. Okay. Like the real OG. Platform he shoes, a, fish in the platform. No, he was he was more of the sugar bear type old school player. Okay. From back in the day. Gotcha. My my daddy, you know, he, he didn't believe in certain things, but me being the only girl. You know, he didn't sugarcoat anything. You're going to get the same lesson the boys get. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be harder on you because you're my only daughter. And so he would never, like, really celebrate my runs. You know, I would go and see him and talk to him and tell him about my runs. And he would always say, who paying for this? And I would be like, nobody. I'm paying for it out of my pocket. He was like, you about a stupid MS. He was like, mm. why are you paying to go run? And, and what you getting for it? And I would say a metal or one of them necklace things. That's what he called them, necklace things. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, yeah. And he was like, you need to take that money and go to Vegas and flip it or give it to me and let me flip it for you, daddy. <laughs> I like running. He was like, I like money. He was like, but you like giving money away. You like giving money to the white man. So you're going to go to Berlin where they don't like ninjas and you're going to do what over there? He was like, I'm telling you right now, you shouldn't be going there. They don't like they don't like us over there. Mm -hmm. And out of all the races I did, my dad didn't really, he didn't really say a lot about none of them. Mm -hmm. I 
I'm sorry. He he harped on Berlin because, but he had never been to Berlin. Mm. <laughs> he only knew what he saw on the TVs and the Hitler days and things like that. And he was old school, so wasn't no change in his mind. And so what I told him was, I said, well, Daddy, I'm going to Berlin, but I ain't going by myself. I'm, I'm going to take some friends with me. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I don't care who you take with you. He said, they don't like none of y'all. <laughs> so that's how Berlin Blackish was born because I was like, I need some people to go so my daddy can relax and give me his blessings before I leave. Mm-hmm. And and that's really how Berlin Blackish, you know, we put it out there. And at the time, I was able to, I was a seven-continent member through Marathon Tours. And so I was able to call them up and say, hey, I got this group. You know, we, we all want to go together. What can you do for us? And so one of the girls that ran with us, her father uh, served in the service. And I believe he was stationed over in Germany. And I remember her specifically telling us, you know, you can't, you know, my father said not to go near Brandenburg Gate. Mm-hmm. Because of this rule or that rule. And so we checked out some things and realized, oh, we can go take a picture in front of Brandenburg Gate. And so that's exactly what we did. Um, we had um, Jen Mason from Chicago. She was our photographer, but she was on the team as well. And so we set up the tripod and we took our own picture. But we had to get there like at 6 a.m. Because otherwise you would have had a lot of tourists in the picture. Mm-hmm. And so once that picture hit the internet, it was like, <clears throat> when they say a picture is worth a thousand words, that too kind of took on its own identity because we didn't realize a lot of people were paying attention to us. And once we did that, hashtag Berlin Blackish took off. Mm. And it became like everybody and their mama was trying to get to Berlin to run a marathon and I've had the honor of setting up a photographer every year for anybody that shows up for Berlin Blackish to take that group picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also were black and abroad, and so we wanted to give them a shout-out. So that it, it started with us, and then it's just it's what everybody does every year. <laughs> I can't explain how these trends take off, but it's like for the African-Americans that go abroad – they want to continue those traditions. Mm-hmm. We want to continue to show people that you can do it and have fun and meet other runners. And, you know, still to this day, there's other runners there that have no idea what Berlin Blackish is. And so once they find out, they want to be a part of it because that picture continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so mm. the running joke last year was the class of 2020 got to come with FAMU marching band. And so that is like, you know, the senior picture, the graduation pictures for Berlin Blackish. And so, you know, things have kind of just taken off. I I can't tell you where I get the inspiration from, but for me, it's always about uplifting us Mm -hmm. and showing the world that, you know, this is what we do. We run too. We may not never make it the cover of a, you know, Sports Illustrated or Running USA or Running Magazine or whatever. But it's, it's almost like within our own community, we, we, we are like these people that are doing these awesome things, being epic. Trailblazers. You know, yeah. You know. And so that's, that's what it's about for me. Like the notoriety and all that other stuff that come with it, it's like that's fine. But to my people... 
to my family, you know, I mean, my coworkers think, you know, I should be in the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, in their small circle of life, they didn't know running meant this much to people. They didn't know people were doing these kind of things. Yeah. And, And so when you can actually touch somebody that has done something like that, I mean, you become their superhero, so, you know, sometimes you got to take a superhero when you can get it and where you can get it at. Yeah, and I think it's it's evolved beyond just running. It is taken on, I mean, that that's the vehicle, but you're getting someone off the couch. You're getting someone to, to you know, think about, you know what, I, I'm starting over. I, I'm, I've got an empty nest, and now what do I do? So... Oh, I can do this thing because I seen, I seen Heather do it, or I seen, uh, you know, this yeah. other person and get up and, and that's it. Cause think about it, you you are teaching, giving people experience. They are having to get a passport. They are having to save to be able to do this. This has nothing to do with real life. This ain't got nothing to do with work, children, spouses, none of that. This is something for you, you know, so that you can live. And so when you think about how people are living their life, they commit so much to everything for them but doesn't really service them. Don't get me wrong. There are people that are very happy with giving their time to church. They're very happy with giving their time to their job. I used to be one of those people. But when I realized that my job is not going to give to me in the manner in which I think I deserve, time is something you can't get back. Nope. And so you have to start believing that your time is more valuable than money. And if I give you my time, what you going to do with it? Because if you ain't going to do right with it, then I might as well keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. And if it's not being used, it's being stored for later. And, and that's fine, too. Yeah. But you... You have to stop thinking that we got time to do all these things. I watched my grandparents. I watched them grow up. I watched them, you know, save. I listened to all the lessons of saving. They worked hard. I can remember graduating from college, and I was making more than my grandmother was when she retired. And I couldn't believe how unfair that was, but it taught me a valuable lesson that it didn't matter What you had, you could always achieve more if you put your mind to it. And I watched them save and put up, and they were going to do all these things when they retired, only to retire, get sick, and both pass within six months of each other. Mm. And I thought to myself, all these years I've been programmed to think you work this job, you save to retirement, and then you travel. Mm. But after losing your grandparents and your parents, you you look at life differently. You look at life as this. Tomorrow ain't coming, so I got to maximize today. And yeah. if I got something left, that's fine. But I got to focus on what I want to do right now and make that happen because... You don't know what, what tomorrow is going to hold. And the, and people and, are not people yeah. are not waiting for no, the, the no. experience, you know, down the line. They're no. not spending, you know, 25 no. years on a job and, and, and no. waiting, pay, putting in the dues and all. Not that they're not... They, they, People are not thinking like that. I'm waiting for a gold watch. I want a gold watch. They want experiences. Yeah. They want to. Yeah. They want to live and 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 see the world now. Um, yep. Someone posted and that. Hmm? That's true. No, that that's. You know what? One of my best supervisor, who just retired last year, she told me years ago when I first started running. She she just watched me evolve, 
And she said, you're doing something that I never was able to do. And I said, what was that? She said, learn how to live. Mm. She said, I keep living for this job. And she said, I am glad that you have a life outside of this job. I'm glad that you know how to go out there and live and you don't let nothing stop you. And I always think about that because there's so many people, they want to go, they just don't want to go alone or they're scared to go alone, or they're scared to do this, and they're scared to do that. And it's like, I get all of that. Don't get me wrong. I'm scared, too. But you just have to use your common sense and your better judgment and trust that if you can do things in the United States alone, going across the country is, is not that fearful. Once you go, you you figure it out. Yeah. You, you figure it out. It's, it's never as bad as you think it is. And for those that think they don't have the money, it's like anything else you want. You save Get a side and you hustle. frugal with it. Yeah. And you side hustle. Like we all got side hustles. I tell you, people don't think I work. I got about three side hustles. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 truly I, I think that's what people are upset. You when when you when you look at somebody living their life, like I when I if I see someone out there doing something, I get excited. I, I, I literally get excited. I'm never like, oh, damn, you again? What the? F- oh, my gosh. I'm like, but you yeah. know, there's those people that be like, all you do is post, you go in here, you go in there. And it's like, you don't get it. What, what, what you should be seeing is somebody that's showing you something that you might want to do. And here's a snapshot of what it looks like just in case you decide to do it. Yeah. It's not to say, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. No, I like when people travel because they're teaching me something that I didn't know. And if I decide to go, at least I got some pointers on what to do, what not to do. And growing up, I don't remember seeing that, you know, yeah. but now in the day of social media, you know, it's at your fingertips. Why not go explore it? What else you doing? Because mm-hmm. buying stuff doesn't really do anything for you. You it's just temporary. collect it. Yeah, it's, it's a temporary yeah, you fix. you just collect it. Yeah, and you then collect it. it's hot today, and then it's like, okay, well, those are gone. What else can I get? And at some point, you said, I want to go to one of the coldest places on the planet. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm good. I think I sent you a black ice uh, air freshener. <laughs> that's about as it's, it gets called like oh no but so you say I want to go to Antarctica and you got some folks to, to, to come along with you you know Antarctica was a hard sell but you know I, I, I saw a meme once where somebody said the hell Heather King can sell ice water in hell and so <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself y'all funny but the thing about it is for those running the seven continents you can't do it without Antarctica. You you can't. You can't get around it. And so um, my friend Roosevelt Giles, he's a big runner, and, and he probably doesn't get all the respect that he deserves. But he has been in my ear about this Antarctica trip for, I know, at least since I met him at the Great Wall of China. Yeah, that's when you met and, him running, and, and it's like he gave you like a, a surgeon, a boost of energy. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody somebody said that this guy was looking for you in a hotel in, in, in China. And I was like, I don't even know anybody in China. And he was there with Marathon Tours, and he sat down. We had a conversation. Mm-hmm. We've been friends ever since. And, you know, when Roosevelt calls, you answer. Mm-hmm. It's like Roosevelt is like is like Bosley to the Charlie Angels. When he calls, mm-hmm. you stop, you listen, you do exactly what he said to. And so throughout this whole running journey, Roosevelt – 
for the most part, I think he's been at the same race as I've been at. And so he's always been that great inspiration. And he stays on me about what I need to do, what I should be doing, mm-hmm. and how I should be doing it. And so I respect and listen to him. And so when he said Antarctica, so I've got this, this motion thing going with boats. And so I was like, well, yeah, I can't be out at sea for two weeks. That ain't going to work. And so he turned me on to um, Marathon Adventures, who was the group that we did the Antarctica with. And so I started, you know, about a year and a half out just randomly and every time I see somebody, don't you want to go to Antarctica with me? And they were but And it became like a running yeah. joke. Here comes Heather <laughs> King. Y'all say no. Say no. And so I would ask anybody that would listen because you, you just never know what people's desires are. And so I remember two years ago we were in, um, we were in Jamaica for the um, reggae runners mm-hmm. uh, race. And so I was sitting on the beach with my drink, and I just went up and down the beach asking all the runners I saw, don't y'all want to go to Antarctica with me? Mm. <laughs> you in Jamaica, like, under the sun, talking about hey. Antarctica. Antarctica. Now, you, you had some... You, and I've never forget you had, I'm sorry, you had some um, older <laughs> folks with you, too. Yeah. So uh, McKinney Mason out of VA was one of the guys in uh, Jamaica, and he was like, he called me boss lady. So he said, boss lady, I'm going wherever you're going. He said, Antarctica. He said, count me in. He said, the general don't want to go, but mm-hmm. I'll go. I was like, bet. And so I just started telling people. But see, I would use McKinney as bait. And I would be like, well, such and such is going. And they'd be like, mm-hmm. really? How you get him to go? And mm-hmm. he wanted to go. They was like, uh-huh. And so then the word got out. And see, the thing is, once you start seeing certain people go, you like, ah, I want to go to that. If she going, I'm going. And that's, it, it's like somebody told somebody and somebody told somebody else. We were in Little Rock, and I'll never forget, there was a girl that had left a note for me at the at the front desk and was like, she's in this hotel. She want to talk to you about Antarctica. And I bust out laughing because I was like, why are people tracking me down mm-hmm. about this race? And so... <laughs> Once we got, you know, a, 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 a nice a nice group of people that were interested, um, we started a page. And so I came up with this great idea. I was like, look, let's change the game. I want to be the face of this race. This race only holds 30 people capacity. How about we register before the race opens so that we all make sure we end? Because, you know, he had a, the race director had an online system, but you could still get the paper mm-hmm. form and fill it out. And so I said, well, I tell you what, we're going to change the game. Registration opened January the 1st. I need everybody to send their money in by December the 15th. And they was like, you know Christmas, this your Christmas gift. Send in your Christmas gift to him. It was a $1,000 deposit. And so everybody sent their money in. One person wrote a check, and it had their number on it. And so he called that person, and he was like, um, you sent me some money, but I'm not sure what it's for. And she was like, well, do you know Heather King? He said, no, I, ca- I can't say I do. And they said, well, I can't talk to you. Okay. You need to call Heather King. So he calls me, and he was like, well, yeah, um, my name is such and such, and I guess you're Heather King, and how can I help you? And I said, sir, we just sold out your race. And he was like, ah, you <laughs> did. <laughs> so, Why, thank you. <laughs> um, that's how... 
Yeah, I mean, he said normally, you know, you have all these people to go. They make all these plans. He accommodates them, and when it's time to go, instead of it being 30 people, it's like five. He said, so he stopped, you know, holding spots. He said, but I don't think I've ever had anybody to send me all their mm. money up front. And I said, well, yeah, so he came in, in March, the year before, to meet us, and he brought us shirts. Wait, you know, wait, he, he, came, he, came to, he came to Atlanta? Field. He came to Atlanta. He lives in um, okay, okay. Minneapolis. Oh. Yep, Steve, Steve Hibbs gotcha. is his name. Um, he's been doing Antarctica for a little mm. over nine years. And so um, he came to Atlanta. We, I called it Coffee and Conversations with Steve. Um, we got a space at Woodward Academy, one of their rooms, um, and had Coffee and Conversation and a slideshow with Steve. And so the thing about it was most of the people that went on the trip were from Atlanta. It was mm-hmm. like seven or eight of us. And so he just, he wanted to mm-hmm. be faced with a name. And that's kind of how um, the Black Eyes Project started. I, I, I didn't want it to just be something Antarctica. It always has to mm-hmm. tie in black. And then people was like, you know, Ice, ice <laughs> Baby. And they started making jokes. And so I tied that in. And we became the Black Ice Project and the largest number of African-Americans to run um, a half or a full mm. So let me ask you a question, Heather. We're going to start wrapping up. Yes. What is it you think about you that attracts people to you? Um, I would first start off with my smile. Um. I believe I'm a genuine person, and people pick up on that. Um, I'm a leader. Um, I'm also your number one cheerleader. Um, If I get involved, I'm not asking you to do something that I've never done before. So people have watched me grow over the years, um, and they watch me handle my business. And so whatever I say I'm going to do, I get out there and do it, and I lead by example. And I think... I'm not just a, a talker. I'm actually a doer. And I think that's the difference between mm-hmm. people that do a lot of talking about the run community versus those that impact the running community. Like, when you talk about running and black folks, I'm always going to come up in a conversation because of the impact that I've had within the run community. It doesn't matter what state you're in. Mm-hmm. Right now, it kind of don't matter what country you're in. There's always somebody that knows something about Team Takedown or Berlin Blackish or any of the things that, you know, we've created. And for me, it's always about how can I better us? What can I do to lead us to something that's greater than what we did? Like, you you always chasing something greater. How do we outdo this? Like, I, mm-hmm. I never could figure out what we could do outside of Team Takedown because at that time, that was the biggest that we had done. And so as time goes mm-hmm. on, looking back, it's like, wow, we don't stop. Like, we are constantly moving in the direction of onward and forward and trying to outdo whatever we did last, which tends to be affecting the black running community. So we're leaving a legacy to follow. And we're impactful. Mm. And not everybody can say they've impacted the running community, maybe in your community, but mine is not just in my community. Mine, mine covers the state. And mine is going international. Mm. So when you look at the impact, I can brag about it because I've actually done it. You know, 
And not only have you done it, so, but there are other people that are now doing it. Before I did majors, I never knew nobody that did the majors. Now, everybody and their mama is doing the majors, and they should because we all deserve to have our name on that board. And if you can go to an expo and mm-hmm. go up to that, that Abbott board and say, oh, I know this person and that person, like, we winning. Before then, I knew none of the names on that wall. Now, when people see my name, they're like, oh, I know her. Well, guess what? Now there's some more names added. Yeah. And so that's that's how you leave a legacy. That's how you create an impact within the running community. You inspire you know, other people to, to, to pick up the mantle and, 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 and go yeah. for a run. Or, or do something within their community, and, and you don't have to, you, you don't have to have some huge nope, platform. Uh, just ordinary Epic. people doing extraordinary things within their community. And that's that's, yeah. you know that that's to be commended, man. I, I I'll, I'll celebrate that every day and, and twice, twice on, on Sunday. Sunday. 